live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. So, the mafia, Bill's mafia, and everybody else around the league watched and waited and wondered about Josh Allen's status all week long. We talked about it all week long. Was he going to go or not? Well, it turns out he wasn't just a go for that game against Minnesota. He was a go for the game of the year. One of the best games ever. Like, if you think people are making too big of a deal out of that game, you're wrong. You're wrong. They aren't. You're wrong or you did not see it or you did not watch because that wasn't just game of the year material. That was all-time instant NFL classic material. Like, I could spend the entire show on that one game alone. I could spend the entire show on that one catch alone. And by the way, why don't we start right there? Why don't we start there because that's the spot where this game officially lost its damn mind. Minnesota clawed back from 17 down late in the third. They faced a 4th and 18 desperation moment, down 4, coming out of the 2-minute warning, and then somehow, someway, this insanity happened. Cousins back to throw on 4th and 18. He's given time. He wants Jefferson. Climbs the ladder. Oh, my goodness. Justin Jefferson pulled it in. The catch of his life keeps the Vikings' hopes alive. There's no way. That's Fox. And, I mean, this dude. Well, what else can you say but this dude? Are you kidding? Is that the catch of the year? Is that the catch of his lifetime? Is that the best catch yet? Best catch ever, I should say. You know, as always, yes. Yes. My answer is D, all of the above. That catch was gravity-defying. That catch was logic-defying, sanity-defying, mafia-defying. I don't even understand how that was physically possible to do. And it did save the Vikings. They were dead in the water at that point. Again, that came on 4th and 18. Without that catch, there is no game of the year. Considering the situation, yes, I'm going to say that's a better catch than even the original one-hander, the OBJ one-hander. This catch was more like if you combined the Minneapolis Miracle and the Beckham catch. The play was essentially, I mean, no, it didn't happen in the postseason, but it essentially was the closest thing, at least in the regular season, that we've had to the immaculate reception. And incredibly enough, you want depressing, that happened 50 years ago. Do you want to know, I digress, sidebar, that was when I officially became an NFL fan, the immaculate reception. That's how old I am, and that's how long ago that happened, but that's how I got into it. That's how, as a kid growing up in Los Angeles, I became a diehard, diehard Pittsburgh Steelers fan because of the immaculate reception. 50 years ago? So is this that? It's in the same conversation. But as much of a unicorn as that play was, and even rarer, an even more unhinged play happened one minute and 19 seconds of game time later. Because Jefferson's catch only set the Vikes up to get stuffed on a Kirk Cousins keeper at the one-inch line. Which meant all Buffalo really had to do to win that game and get the hell out of there 7-2 and two, was have one successful quarterback keeper. Snap at once, fall forward, ball game. Thanks for coming. Amazing. Instead, 
somehow this actually happened. Zero breathing room. He tries to sneak it. The ball is loose. Impossible. Do the Vikings have it? Scrambling for the ball. It is a touchdown on their last breath. Wait, what? You might have even thought that the worst-case scenario would have been a safety. And then Buffalo invented an even worse-case scenario. They were only in that spot to begin with because Minnesota couldn't sneak it in. So basically, it was a failed sneak going in and then a failed sneak coming back out. The worst sneak sequence in the history of the Shield. Incredible game. Horrific quarterback sneaks. So basically, at this point, the game already had its so-called immaculate reception and a miracle at the Meadowlands. A Franco Harris and a Herm Edwards. And there were still more twists to come. Because, of course, Allen and the Bills came flying right back up the field in the final 41 seconds to knock through a field goal and send this game into overtime. And I don't think that free football has ever felt better than that. And that free football came down to one more Josh Allen drive. Needing a three to tie and a TD to win. And instead, the big dude threw another red zone pick. Second and ten. Allen steps up and throws. An interception! Patrick Peterson! And in this heavyweight bout, the Vikings with the knockout blow! You know, actually, it was a heavyweight bout. An epic heavyweight fight. As in, it's fair to call the Vikings heavyweights now. They earned it yesterday. Remember the last couple of weeks, I would say things like, how the hell are they 6-1? and one? How the hell are they 7-1? and one? Yeah, well, now we know. Now we know. They earned that. Minnesota has got a first-year head coach. They've got a quarterback who, you know, frankly, is on a roller coaster every single week. They have a defense that's not great, far from it, yet they are what their record says they are. And their record says they're 8-1. and one. And they might have snagged the best dub of the year so far. On the flip side, Mafia... Listen, I'm not going to sit here and tell you everything's okay. I'm not going to sit here and tell you everything is going to be okay. You know what? It might not. It might not. For one thing, Josh, and no one would ever, ever question this guy's toughness or his competitiveness or how badly he wants it. Ever. Ever. I understand all that. However, he needs to stop forgetting what team he's on in the red zone because they're not executing down there. Nor are they winning close games, going back to last year. There's some pretty scary numbers regarding how they do in close games. They're not good at all. They've got to stop finding impossible ways to lose huge games. Essentially, Buffalo has got to cut the meltdowns. Yet We know they're fine when they're blowing teams out, but they're not winning close games. And they're big games that they're not winning. How bad is it? Stephon Diggs actually said, quote, after the game, he said, quote, I feel like we might be blinking a little bit. End of quote. That's a, a big-time statement right there. And you know what? I, I don't think that he's wrong. In fact, there may be no, quote, might be. There may be, quote, no little bit. Because they are. Frankly, they are. In big spots, in the red zone, in crunch time, in back-breaking moments. That's how you go from being the number one seed in the AFC to the third-place team division in one day. Things like that. In the red zone, in crunch time, in back-breaking moments. And they'll never win the last game of the year if they do blank. 
And by the way, that whole thing about how important it was to get that game at home to go to the Super Bowl, that's not looking so great either. Yes, they somehow made it back from the last 13 seconds after they blinked against the Chiefs. But there's only so much blinking this team can survive. That blink may have been on the defense. This blink may have been on Josh Allen. But that was the game of the year. You know, that's not some hot take. That's pretty obvious. But there was other, and I could do an entire show on that game alone. But there was other action yesterday. Other really interesting games yesterday. That right there was the best game of the year. And then we had the best terrible game of the year. Maybe the best terrible game ever. I'm looking at you, Vegas. I'm looking at you, Raiders, Colts. The autumn wind is a Raider. And the autumn wind was facing a first-time head coach and a first-time play caller and a franchise in total, utter, chaotic disarray at home in a game they had to have. Surely, the Raiders would never disgrace the autumn wind or Raider fan or themselves with a loss in this game. It could never happen. Um, Holy crap. It is true. I did just drop the LT hammer on the autumn wind. It is time to knock that new business idea out of the park with Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Forget the off-season work. Shopify makes it simple to sell to anyone from anywhere. Whether you're selling warm-ups or wall hangers, it is time to start selling with Shopify and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of businesses worldwide. With Shopify, you will customize your online store to your brand, discover new customers, and build the relationships that create diehard fans. And and Shopify fields all the sales channels to grow a winning business from an in-person POS system to an all-in-one e-commerce platform, even across social media platforms like TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. And thanks to 24-7 support and free on-demand business courses, Shopify is on your team every step of the way. It's how every minute new sellers around the world score their first sale with Shopify, and you can too. When you're ready to take your winning idea to the world, team up with Shopify, the commerce platform powering millions of businesses down the street and around the globe. Try out Shopify for free today and start selling anywhere. This is possibility powered by Shopify. Sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash Rome, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash R-O-M-E, all lowercase, and start selling online today. Shopify.com slash Rome. And the Raiders deserve that and so much more and so much worse. Forget spinning in his grave. Al Davis is firing up the overhead projector from his grave. If that dude were around, Josh McDaniels would never have made it off the field yesterday. Because Josh McDaniels seriously did just lose to Coach Bra. Bra. A dude, Jim Ursay, pulled out of a TV studio in Bristol. A dude who had never coached in a game at the NFL level. A dude who had never coached even at the college level. A dude who was still in that studio when the week started. Coach Bra, Bra. was shouting on TV. 
and talking crap on Twitter less than a week ago. I got no problem with it. That was his job. That's what they were paying him to do. Shout on TV and talk crap on Twitter. And now the guy's 1-0. And the author of one of the great tweets in recent memory, because two weeks ago he did tweet, quote, Raiders look horrible. And, of course, that tweet is everywhere right now, both because it's an epic own and because it's undeniably true. It was true two weeks ago. It was true yesterday. It's been true all season long. The Raiders do look horrific. They are horrific. I mean, that is catastrophic. I mean, credit to Saturday for somehow pulling that off and having that great energy and enthusiasm. But are you kidding me? The Raiders made Matt Ryan look like Lamar Jackson. Jackson? Tell me that old man didn't get out and scamper 37 yards. I mean, I'll give Jeff Saturday this if I have to. Going back to Matt Ryan was a tone-setting move. They don't win that game without Matt Ryan. It was the area where the Raiders were supposed to have a massive advantage in this game. QB, passing attack. Instead, again, Matt Ryan looked like Lamar Jackson. And Derek Carr himself wound up crying at the postgame podium. And for that to be the result of all that effort pisses me off. Pisses a lot of guys off. It's hard knowing what some guys are doing. Like I said, just to practice what they're putting in their body just to sleep at night. Like, just so we could be there for each other. And I wish everybody in that room felt the same way about this place. And as a leader, that pisses me off, if I'm being honest. If I'm being honest, I'm not sure I've ever seen anything quite like that before. I like Derek Carr. I always have. Always will. But I have never seen anything quite like that. I mean, I'd probably cry, too, if I lost to Jeff Saturday's Colts. But the clip does make you wonder, right? The hell is going on with the Raiders? How the hell did this happen? How did they get to this point? And even if it was a lost cause and there was never a full buy-in with Josh McDaniels, whatever was going on, how do you lose that game? Again, to a guy who was never coached in the NFL or even in the college game, the guy they wanted to call the plays did not take the job because they didn't offer him more money. So he said, I'm not doing it. So they let somebody else do it who had never done it, who was 30. And then they went into the Raiders' house and beat them? I mean, that is a freaking disaster. That cannot happen. And it did. I mean, whatever the hell it is they're doing or taking to sleep or to practice, you know, whatever it is he was talking about— It ain't working. I mean, they're pathetic. And Josh McDaniels, as much as it pains me to say, as bad as he looked that first time around, 12 years ago with Denver, this is even worse. He looks like every other head coach from the Hoodman's nightmare coaching tree. I mean, this is some Matt the Pencil and Joe the Leader of Men bleep. Because he basically proved yesterday that he could lose to anybody right off the street. In fact, you know what the league should do? 
as, as riveting as that whole thing was, as compelling as that whole thing was, the league actually should kind of commit to a bit, a bit where they pull randos off the streets every single week and let them coach against the Raiders and see how they do. Because that's essentially what the Colts did. I don't want to hear about what a great player this guy was. He was. And he's a great dude. Great energy. He had never coached a minute in the NFL. He had never coached a minute in the college game. He was a high school coach turned screamer in a studio turned pancake man. And he walked right in midweek and led them to a win on the road. (laughs) I'm telling you. It's the only thing that's going to make them watchable. The Raiders going forward. Like, why not just have a clone coach against Josh McDaniels? Hell, Raider Mike would probably be an upgrade on the sideline for Vegas at this point. And you know, I don't think anybody doubts that at this point. Or if Coach Bra can take over or get over on Josh, maybe Silk Bra can too. Bra. Like, with every head coach on the hot seat, I used to think that Sean Payton could just keep adding another zero to the end of his price tag. But Saturday, he's done a pretty good job of throwing a wrench and all that, right? Anyway, it's, let's see, 9.18 Pacific time. Raider fan, you can go ahead and keep refreshing your Twitter feed, but it looks like Josh McDaniel is still your head coach. And you know what he's going to be, too? They're not going to fire him. Not right away. Because Mark Davis is still on the hook for Fooden. He's still paying Fooden. And if he fires Josh now, then he's going to have to pay food and Josh. So somebody will take the fall, but I don't think it's going to be the head coach. Not this year. Because multi-year commitments and buyouts are a bitch. While Mark Davis stares at that number, whatever it is, you know Ursay is debating whether or not to buy another jet. Just so he can name that jet. Or a yacht, but probably a jet, and name it the told you so. It's been a tough week, but uh, we believe and we know in who you are, Jeff. And congratulations. I know you will treasure this, my brother. Appreciate you. <laughs> my brother. Brother. We all getting balls. Everybody's getting a game ball, man, because we all put it in. Everybody gets a game ball. And my favorite thing about football, Victory Monday. We'll see y'all later. <laughs> It's like like an episode of Oprah. Y'all get an Escalade. You get one, you get one, you get one, you get one. Escalades for everybody. So Josh is bringing his guys to tears while Jeff is bringing game balls to his players. Ursay probably only wishes that locker room was bigger so he could park his private jet in it. Stand beside it and tell everybody, told you so. How you like me now? Tell me how my ass tastes. Here's the other thing. You'd think that Jeff Saturday would be the happiest guy on the planet right about now? I don't think. I'm going to give that to the legendary play-by-play voice of the Minnesota Vikings, Paul Allen. We played the Fox version earlier, but here is the Vikings call. On the Josh Allen fumble. Josh Allen puts Gabe Davis in motion. And Davis is behind Allen. And he tried to push him. He didn't get out of there. He didn't get out. He did not get out. That's 
us a safety. Give it to us. Give us a safety. Look at wh what's taking so long. Oh, the ball oh, came out. Touchdown. Yes, the are Vikings. Are you kidding me? The Vikings are going to win. Are you kidding me? Yes, drop that ball, Josh Allen. That ball came loose. Holy cow. Josh they Allen tried to sneak touchdown. through the middle. They signal touchdown. The ruling on the field. Is that the quarterback muffed the snap? Minnesota dived on the ball in the end zone yes! for a touchdown. Yes! Yes! Are you kidding me? When it's your year, it's your Not, year. How about your Vikings, Vikings fans? How about that? How about that? Come to Buffalo and beat this team. Are you kidding me with what just happened? How about your Vikings fans? No. How about your Vikings, Viking fans? How about your Viking play-by-play -play man, Viking fans? Give us the safety! This dude's the best. Give Holy us the cow. safety. Give us the Drop safety. Drop that football, Josh Allen. When it's your year, it's your year. How Unbelievable. Have you ever experienced the flavor of actual live fire cooking? We're not talking about a fire pit in the backyard. This is about the big green egg, the ultimate cooking experience. I know you know about it because the second I got mine and I started talking about it, people were rushing up on me like they knew. They wanted to talk about it. It's because the egg is the most versatile grill you're ever going to own. I'm telling you, you can grill, roast, smoke, sear, and even bake. Yes, try a pizza on the egg. It will amaze you. It works. It's incredible. So stop wasting money on grills that you have to replace every few years. We've all been there. We've done that. It gets old. Forget the pellets and the knockoffs, too. Listen to me. Roll with an authentic big green egg. It is a ceramic marvel. It's backed by a lifetime warranty. That's right, a lifetime warranty. It is simple to light, it is easy to use, it works without a power source, you don't have to plug anything in. So with the playoffs and the holidays approaching, you cannot beat a smoked turkey on an egg. How cool is that? And it makes a great gift. And they've got two models that are perfect for tailgating. The best part is you can have it delivered right to your house for free from a local dealer in your community. That's right. Shop online at BigGreenEgg.com. Have it delivered to your house for free. That's how I did it. It was an awesome experience. That's BigGreenEgg.com. And yes, you will thank me later. He is Charles Robinson. My man, Charles, what's up? How are you? I'm doing well, brother. We had a pretty good one, huh? Dude, <laughs> such a great one. This one's so eager to talk to you about it. Hey, what's more stunning to you that Jeff Saturday walked out of a TV studio, having never coached in the NFL or in college, and won a game on the road that very same week, or the fact that Josh McDaniels, with a fistful of jewelry, lost to Saturday? I, Jeff Saturday was crazy about this. So Tuesday... Didn't know who his offensive play caller was going to be. Didn't know who his starting quarterback was going to be. Had to walk into a building and essentially corral all these coaches who were passed over for him. And then address the locker room and explain why he was there instead of all these other individuals who they had been with since training camp. And then beats the Rangers. I mean, that, I just... It's it's wild to think of somebody stepping out of the studio. And, you know, we know Jeff's obviously his experience and everything as a player, but you're talking about a high school coach. He's a high school coach. That's what he was. And um, being able to, to get everybody in a row to beat the Raiders was, I think, pretty significant. But I think, interestingly enough, and what I don't think is probably being focused on enough, is the fact that he reinstituted the person who knows the offense best 
probably who is still there. Matt Ryan. That's it. He was like, I'm going back to this guy. And I think that it's pretty clear that, you know, Jim Mersey benched Matt Ryan and Jeff Saturday said, this is the guy who gives me the best chance to win. If you want me to win, if you want me to have this job, you're going to let me have the quarterback back. And Matt Ryan played like someone who probably had a chip on his shoulder from being benched. I think this is a very good point. Charles Robinson joining us. So then on the flip side of that, what do you make of Derek Carr tearing up the way he did while speaking to the press? Ever see anything like that before? And what do you think that was about exactly? It's serious from him. You know, that's really, uh, that's the most emotional I've seen him since. And it's not saying he's a flat, you know, emotionally guy. Like he, he, you know, he's, he's definitely great when he talks in depth about the team, but probably not since the Henry Ruggs situation that I'd seen him really that extremely emotional about what was going on. And um, I think the insinuation of, you know, when he kind of went through his, his diatribe of what was going on, what was bothering him, he clearly pointed in the locker room that like, he felt like, Hey, there's some, there's not some people not buying in here. There's, there's some people who aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing to making sure that we're, you know, win winning games here. Devonte Adams, same thing comes out and basically says, look, there's, there's not buying by, by certain people on the roster. You get the players call a meeting. That's, you know, that's a pretty dire situation, but I, I think there's more in, in here. There were some of these mistakes that were made. And I went through there in, in the preseason, spent some time with McDaniels, Dave Ziegler, the, the general manager. I think it was probably more of a rebuild in some respects than, than they really appreciated. I think once they knew how bad the offensive line could potentially be and the impact that was going to have on, you know, the depth of the offense, the big playability. Um, and then, you know, Hey, if there were any injuries that were going to occur like Darren Waller, Hunter Renfro, it was going to be tougher sledding than they thought. Now that said, do I think McDaniels has done a good job coaching? No. You know, I'm sure that there are a lot of people in the building that are frustrated with the way things have gone now, but if you want to know how broken they are, I still think McDaniels is the safest guy on that in the franchise right now because Mark Davis is a is a cash poor owner, and I just do not see him saying, "Hey, yeah, just settled with, with John Gruden. Let me fire this guy, pay his buyout, and then let me pay another coach who comes in here." No, I think this is a situation where money is going to keep him employed at least into 2023. So they got to figure out how to how to turn this thing around in the offseason. Charles Robinson joining us. All right, so I could keep going on that topic, but let me move to the next one. The Vikings, Charles, have won seven consecutive one-score games. They came back just now from a 17-point deficit on the road to stun Buffalo. Let me ask you, how the hell are these guys doing this? Well, I mean, they're catching a lot of green lights, let's be honest. The 4th and 18 play was unbelievable. I mean, look, Justin Jefferson said all offseason, he told us at every turn, I'm the best wide receiver in the NFL. And people are like, yeah, yeah, maybe. No, yeah, he probably is. Like he's like, with <laughs> right. all with all due respect to Cooper Cup, who's amazing, and I think they're both right there. I mean, the a healthy Cooper Cup. Um, but yeah, I mean, Jefferson has ascended into like one A, one B, one C, right in that territory. Um, but like I said, they are catching a, a lot of green lights. Like you said, seven straight one score wins. I think they play up to competition. I think they play down to competition. Not really an, an awesome trait. And a team that they remind me of, and it was funny because a Twitter user, like somebody tweeted this yesterday when I was talking about the Vikings. They brought up the 2019 Packers. I'm like, yeah, that's right. I remember LaFleur's first year, it was, it was the same kind of team. They were catching a lot of green lights. They won 13 games in the regular season. They won a playoff game. Of those 14 wins, nine were single score games or eight points or less. 
And, uh, you know, that's great. But then, and I think about the Vikings in this manner, then they got into an NFC title game. They played a, a 49ers team that was just prone to making fewer mistakes and being able to seize on a weakness. And they got house. They got molly whopped and in, in the NFC title game. And that's kind of how I view this Vikings team. Like, are they deserving of the praise? Absolutely. Is there a little bit of a flaw that, that they're just coming back and beating out teams and playing to the level of their competition? Yeah. So that, you know, they've got work to do, but at the very least, being able to beat the Bills the way that they did in such an emotional way, I don't think there's any denial now that, that Kevin O'Connell and, and Kirk Cousins, you know, they should keep some receipts. Charles Robinson joining us. You know, you just mentioned a Twitter user brought something up that you thought was interesting. So let me ask you, how is the Twitterverse treating you these days? Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm probably one of the blue checkmark complainers, you know. I think I'm, 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 it was late last night. I saw something got tweeted in my feed that said, uh, oh, uh, Mark Davis is going to bring back John Gruden. Um, you know, he wants to bring back John Gruden and fire Josh McDaniels. And I'm, and I'm like, I'm looking at the name, like, I don't know who this is. And I don't know how this got retweeted in my feed. And I don't know how it's got, you know, the traction that it does at this point. So I go and I look and it's just a guy <laughs> with a couple hundred followers who, uh, you know, I, I don't think has any clue what he's talking about, but he purchased the blue check mark and people see it and they think, well, I don't know necessarily who that is. Maybe it's when he covers the Raiders. So they retweet it. And yeah, I mean, it sucks. Now that said, I love the fact that, you know, Elon Musk is like, Hey, everybody free. It's a free for all. Everybody can, you know, do and say whatever they want. And the next thing you know, somebody's saying, Hey, uh, Eli Lilly, you know, we're going to take a drug that we've made literally hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars on, uh, in insulin. And now we're going to give it away free. And that becomes a problem. Well, no kidding. What <laughs> you think was going to happen? I, I or, or, or dude, dude, or somebody, or somebody takes a run at him, and that becomes a problem. Yes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The, te- the the multitude of the Tesla tweets about, uh, you know, Tesla's being the you know greatest bomb ever perfected, and like, yeah, I it's, I will give the Twitter trolls their due when they have an opportunity to just let chaos off the chain. They are so good at it. Do they live for it? That's a good day. That's a win. Charles Robinson joining us. Yeah, it is a free-for-all right now. Hey, really quickly, so go back to Buffalo. I just want to get your thoughts on the Twitterverse. Thanks for sharing. What about Buffalo? So they dropped from the top seat, as I mentioned, in the AFC yeah. to fifth overall, third in the division. Stephon Diggs said something really interesting. He said, quote, we might be blanking. Is there something to that? Are they? I think, look, the, let's go back to Josh Allen, okay? And I saw everybody shared the stat yesterday. He's got four red zone interceptions, I think, in the last two games. That is the trait. You know, all the development, as wonderful as, as um, Josh Allen's learning curve has been and the things that he's moved out of his game um, to perfect himself, the one thing he hasn't is he still has this, uh, uh, you know, this aggression chip where it's like every, every single drive's got to be a touchdown, you know, I'm, I'm going to go for it, go for it, go for it. And, and it's just, you know, he's got to get to that point where he knows situationally, okay, let me dial it down here. We have momentum. We're in a position to win a game and let me not force it, you know, when I don't have to. 
But, it, you know, what it reminds me of, I mean, look, you and I have seen eras of football, right? These guys with cannon arms, you know, it's like John Elway never saw a pass. He didn't think he could complete in triple coverage. Brett Favre was that way. The, the, the generational arms always tend to have, particularly once they get to a certain level where they're, hey, 95% of their ceiling has been achieved. The last 5% is starting to pull back a little bit and take away things that, that shouldn't be there, which is that aggression to force things when it doesn't have to happen. And to me, if I'm looking at Buffalo, I'm saying, okay, solve the run game. That's a, that's a significant problem, a real run game. I'm not talking about Naheem Hines, you're throwing the ball to him. Um, and then, you know, Allen, just in those moments where, look, man, you got a howitzer, absolutely play the down and distance, you know, play a medium game instead of trying to, to force it and score a touchdown every single time. We don't necessarily need that to win in, in key moments late. That, to me, is 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 a, a little bit of a problem still in his game. And, oh, by the way, you probably just dropped a game that if you want, you know, a home field advantage in that AFC title game, ah, uh, okay, now we're kind of getting to the point where, you know, it's not cutting time and you can't keep having losses like this because it's going to count when you, when you want home field advantage in the playoffs. No doubt. Charles Robinson, my guest. One last thought. So the Packers beat the Cowboys in OT. They snapped their five-game losing streak. Dallas blows a 14-point fourth-quarter lead. Does this game tell you more about the Packers or the Cowboys? Well, look, the Packers got something that, that they've lacked, right? Christian Watson um, scores three touchdowns. Uh, the, all of a sudden, this player where you're like, wow, he just he's so fast. He can just run by guys which actually, when he's been healthy, he's been able to do. He just can't catch the ball. He had three pretty bad drops in this game, too. We just focus on the touchdowns. But you could see, and Rodgers called it exercising some demons or whatever, if that kid is who we saw last night, even if it's a 50-50, well, hey, he's going to catch three huge passes, he's going to drop three passes, that's still an element they have not had in that offense. That could be significant, I think, for Rodgers, just to have a true deep threat who he can load it up and the kid will just run by guys. And even if he only catches it half the time, that's better than what's been going on. So that could be a little transformative for their offense. I'm, you know, look, the Cowboys got to figure out how to stop the run, period. That's it. Like, they're, like Dan Quinn's amazing. He's going to be a head coaching candidate, probably gets a job next offseason if there's enough openings. But they got to figure out how to stop the run. And, and by the way, Mike McCarthy, people jumping on him for going for it um, in overtime, that was the right call. Like it was like, if you, if you don't think you can hit, kick the field goal, you got to go for it. Maybe you figure out a better play in that situation, but he doesn't call the offensive plays. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why you saw him crush the headset when they ran the play that they did, didn't get the protection they needed. And, you know, Dak throws it away and it costs them the game, but I'm not, I'm not killing Mike McCarthy over that. They're still a good team. So what is the fastest ball sport in the world? Not baseball, not tennis. In fact, it is the sport of high lie spelled J A I. A-L-A-I, originating in the Basque region of Spain and played professionally in the U.S., most notably in the 1980s. Highlight is making an unprecedented comeback. The ball reaches speeds of 150 miles per hour. The action is intense. The danger factor is high. Six-person teams of professional athletes play the sport at the Magic City Fronten in Miami, Florida. I invite you to check out all the action Monday and Tuesday at 5 p.m. and Friday night at 7 p.m. Go to HighLightWorld.com or download the free Highlight app in the App Store.
The sport with its intensity and athleticism is well worth watching. Check out all the action at HighlightWorld.com. Matches are played similar to tennis with a player or team required to win two sets to win a match. Each set is played up to six points. It is a sport you need to check out. HighlightWorld.com. Monday and Tuesday at 5 p.m., Friday at 7 p.m. All right, so why don't we go back to what happened yesterday. Like in any normal week, Cowboys-Packers would have been the lead of this show. Not just because you got two Ionic franchises playing an OT thriller in Lambeau, but because it was Big Mike's big homecoming. And Big Mike was already going viral on social for showing up to his old house dressed like Vince Lombardi. Yes, dude did in fact show up in a full-length brown winter coat. At least he didn't try to pull off a fedora. Or maybe he did try, but couldn't get one to fit on his head. Big Mike showed up to meet his ex, and he showed up trying way too hard. Meanwhile, for the Packers, it was one of those situations where you get a really friendly visit with an ex that you try and do the right thing for. You don't miss at all. Not even a little bit. Zero Feelings remain. Zero feelings left. None. One of those visits that kind of puts things into perspective, right? Like, sure, things could be better than they are this season, but they could be so much worse, too. Way worse. I mean, Big Mike could still be our head coach. So there's no regret there for Packer fan. There's no weirdness in that reunion. They were fine. They had a lot of other issues. A lot of other things to concern themselves with rather than Big Mike rolling onto the field like 18 hours early looking like Vince Lombardi. I mean, there is that weirdness, but that that's the only weirdness. But let's just be very clear about this. That might be the most ironic fit in NFL history. Ironic. Think about it. That guy's showing up dressed like Vince Lombardi. Very, very ionic. Because Big Mike and the Cowboys didn't just wind up taking an enormous dump in their pants and blowing a two-touchdown fourth-quarter lead. That dump was an all-time franchise record dump in their pants. Check this out. This is astounding. According to ESPN, the Cowboys were 180 and none. 180 and zero all-time, when leading by 14 points through three quarters. If you include the postseason, they were 195-0 and all-time. Like, that can't be accurate. That, that, that can't be true, right? They were 195-0 and in any game where they had a 14-point lead after three quarters. That, that, I find that so hard to believe. I mean, I would expect you to have a good record, but 195-0? and 0? Yeah, not anymore. The Cowboys had never lost a game where they held a 14-point lead going into the fourth quarter until yesterday. Until big Mike McChunkie's big Lambo homecoming. How's that for a homecoming, Mikey? So big Mike didn't just meet up with an ex who didn't miss him at all. He met up with that ex, dressed like a clown, Got way too blasted, puked all over himself, and passed out in the bathroom of the bar. And they had to scrape him off the floor. 
In other words, Big Mike gave Green Bay the biggest reminder ever as to why he got run out of Green Bay. So of course he was red-assed after the game. Big Mike was so pissed off after that game that he actually turned his nose up at pie. Very, very, very frustrating. Mike, besides the results, overall experience being back in Green Bay, just take the time this morning to be on the field. I mean, it's hard to look at it now, but... So that's just not, I'm not trying to be rude. I'm, 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 I'm humble pied out, okay? Words that I never, th- I'm not trying to be rude here, Mikey. I'm not trying to be rude here. But those are words I never thought that I would hear from you. Words I never thought that I would hear from Big Mike. He might be humble pied out, sure. Pied out. But don't tell me he wouldn't take a slice of key lime or strawberry rhubarb. Or pecan. Yeah, in fact, Big Mike definitely seems like a big pecan pie guy. For real, though. Talk about the biggest serving of humble pie ever. This serving of humble pie was so enormous that even Big Mike can't eat pie anymore. I'm humble pie out. Think about this. Dude rolled in with serious divorced dad vibes. Pulled up in his brand new red Corvette and his random younger girlfriend being all, hey, yo, kind of a rough go for you guys, huh? Kind of a tough year for y'all, huh? Yeah, we're six and two over here. All good over here. Got myself a new rig. Got myself a new gal. Totally happier in Dallas. Jera even lets me sleep over sometimes, and we talk about the glory holes. Arr, days. Glory hole days. Yeah, well, that whole image just totally ripped apart when the Cowboys went out and had one of the worst collapses in the history of the franchise. Big Mike was so bent, he was firing down headsets like he was Tom Brady with a tablet. Look out, tablet. 195 and 1, Mikey. Dude, and don't you tell me you would not take a slice of key lime. That's a lie. Speaking of Brady, by the way, what the hell was going on in Germany? So the game's a complete and utter snoozer. You put a bunch of people who got up early right back to bed. It's almost as if Tampa knew that. It's almost like they knew, man, we got to do something. We have to do something to hook these people. We have to do something, something to get their attention. They must have been bored because I can't come up with another explanation, reasonable explanation as to why they would try to dial up a pass to Bacon 45. And as a show insertion, if you wonder why Tom Brady is Bacon 45, it's because he's not TB12, he's TB45, and he's no longer TB because he looks just like Kevin Bacon. I think he went to some plastic surgeon somewhere and said, hey, give me the bacon. I want to look like Kevin Bacon. Can you do that for me? Hence, Bacon45. Anyway, how else do you explain that play being dialed up? For who? For what? By whom? Tom Brady was going to catch a pass. He had to have dialed that play up himself. Fournette. He is going to throw it to Brady. Oh, and Brady slipped and he's picked up by Tariq Woodham. Oh, my goodness gracious, of all the things. The hell was that? No, I mean, no, 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 no. I take that back. 
That's not fair. The F was that. I know Bacon looks like a drunk giraffe every time he steps out of the pocket. But I'm not sure he's ever had a more spastic moment in his career than that wipeout on that play. And again, who? how is there a play in the playbook for that? How is there even one line in the playbook for that? And who drew that up? Who called that? Whose idea was it to scheme up a chunky Lenny pass to Bacon 45? And then whose idea was it to actually call that play in an actual game that mattered? And don't get me wrong. I'm so glad it happened because it might have been the dumbest thing I've ever seen in a pro football game. Can you imagine if Bacon Face goes down with an Achilles or an ACL on that bull crap in Munich? Can you imagine if the GOAT's career ended like that? Can you imagine this guy being taken off, them having to lie down that giraffe on a giant cart and rolling this guy off the field? I wonder how that could have ever happened. Or, or did it happen because Bacon45 dialed that one up himself and decided to call his own number? Maybe the old man is in the huddle after all. He's like, hey, yo, we're running the Bacon special. I might look covered, but Lenny, you throw me the ball no matter what. You hear me? I don't care what it looks like. I don't care if you can't throw it that far. I don't care. Just throw it. Throw it no matter what. Don't act like I don't get all the 50-50s. You throw it in my general vicinity, Lenny. You know I'm coming down with it. BLT 45 on three, ready, break. Like I said, why not just send that giraffe right over the middle and have some Mike blow him up and end his career right there? What a circus act to show off to the German fans. You know it's a bleep show when the highlight of that game were the same fans getting nice to John Denver. I mean, by comparison, that was the coolest thing ever. In fact, even by wow comparison, in a, in a vacuum, that was one of the coolest things ever. That was wild. Listen to these guys. In Munich. That was f***ing awesome. It was. And no, clones, I refuse to let you wreck a great moment like that with your John Denver pilot cracks. Then again, due to an incurable case of the jungle Tourette's myself, I was half expecting some kind of OJ or Bison Dele joke to show up on the scoreboard after that. Or for the crowd to chase that by singing OMC's How Bizarre. Or the Luca song. Or freaking memes. Clones, man, you're everywhere. Munich. I would have walked off on that. If the, the 70,000 there sagged out of Denver into Nimes, I would have walked off on that. If all of a sudden 70,000 fans in Munich started singing in unison, how proud you must have been to be Michael's dad, I literally would have walked. You know, the, the, worst, the use of the word literally I know is overused, especially by me, I admit it. But I literally would have walked off on that. That would have been the... Not only would I have walked off on that, that would have been the finest moment of my whole life. You imagine watching that crap fest and they break out with John Denver and it's so awesome. But what if they'd gone to Nimes? <laughs> that would have been so great. A man can dream. Nimes, it could still happen. I would have walked off like Elway after back-to-back wins John in the Elway. Super Bowl. You John Elway.
Hey, Neems, you were the one who said it to me back in the day when you and I were beefing that your music had been heard or published in 75 different countries. It's possible, Neems. It's possible. They did, John Denver. You're next in line. This message is sponsored by Discover. Did you know you could reduce the number of unwanted calls and emails with online privacy protection, the latest innovation from Discover. Discover will help you regularly remove your personal info, like your name and address, from 10 popular people search websites that could sell your data. And they will do it for free. Activate in the Discover app and see terms and learn more at discover.com slash online privacy protection. V in the fee. What's up, V? Romy. Skullskin, what is up, my pimp? What's up, dude? How you living? I, hey, man, you, I'm living good. Hold up. You caught me in the middle of smoking my victory stogie for my Vikings, who I propped up last week. Hold on a sec. There's me smoking that Vikings aren't legit pack. Hey, bomb. Not a big smoker. Sorry. There's me smoking that Justin Jefferson isn't the best receiver in football pack. Sorry, Devontae. Sorry, Cooper Cup. And, you know, my personal favorite. Tastes bomb as heck. My personal favorite, smoking that Kirk Thuggins can't handle the big game pack. Oh, my goodness, it tastes better than sex. Well, well, hold on, hold on. Almost, almost. But how about them skull boys down 17 in Buffalo after some horrible Kirk Cousins interceptions? We was in the mud like diarrhea king mud caps pants. But hot damn, Dalvin Cook brings us up out of the ground and starts to come back with his fat, 80-yard run. But, of course, as I hear the emails, as I hear the takes, everyone wants to discredit the Vikings and say the Bills choked. When we all know if the Vikings would have lost yesterday, oh, they're frauds, told you 7-1 was fake, told you they weren't for real, we can't give these guys credit. They have had a comeback in almost every single win this season. And my guy Kirk Duggins has led five, yes, five fourth-quarter comebacks. And sheesh. Now the king, the return of the king, Patrick Peterson, he's covered in chains. Similar to your neck, Jim Tendo, how it's always covered by turtlenecks, how Alvy's neck is always covered in hickeys, and Rich's neck is always covered in boils. This ice on our neck feels good, and it's getting heavy. End of call war. Wolverine throwing his back out during the game of kick the can. And Oh, wait, no, wait, holy crap, there's no way this is happening. Steve. Steve, you were right. My wife literally heard the call. She's literally undressing me right now. There's no way. No, literally, the coitus is loading. Oh, Jim, I'm sorry. I hate to end the call like this. Anytime, Alvy. Anytime. Alvin, I know you and I should have this conversation off the air, but I'm going to have it with you very briefly on the air. You have the authority. You have the autonomy. You have to use it, though. Anytime, Alvin. Minneapolis. Joel. What's going on, Joel? How are you? Hey, Jim. I'm doing just wonderful. Not like those uh, Buffalo fans. Listen, I'm in the middle of a blizzard right now up here, and there are more accidents than what happened to those Buffalo fans in their pants when they watch their team get their butt kicked. Hey, Rick, I'll bet you're so mad you dug up your dad so you could verbally abuse him again. That's got to suck. We won. You lost. Nobody choked. But I do have a dream. I have a dream that Buffalo and Minnesota will meet each other in the Super Bowl so they can play each other because somebody's got to lose. 
I'm praying to God it's you. Hey, Caleb, my brother. Yo, yo, fat boy, fat boy. Where you been? You better have my donuts. How proud your mother must have been to watch you win this back off from the basement, you creep. Hey, listen, I got to get going because I got to deal with this blizzard. But war, the twins firing Rocco Baldidiot and actually getting a real coach. I'm out. I mean, my man, you did it. Rock him. Rock him. My man in the midst of a blizzard got that phone call off. Hey, Caleb, you got that quote? Creep. Their head coach is Kalen DeBoer. Kalen, it's great to have you on the show. Thanks for joining us. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me on, Jim. Good to have you back, coach. So needless to say, you beat Oregon in their place. That is huge. How huge? Can you describe what that win represents and means to the program? Yeah, it's big. I'm new to the rivalry, uh, being in my first year here, but uh, I don't know if I've ever been part of a rivalry that's uh, as big as this one uh, in all my years and all the places I've been. So, um, you know, it it adds to the season we already have going, um, and uh, the guys are in a great place. I'm proud of them, but uh, that was certainly a big win on Saturday. I'll tell you what, you actually just went where I was going to go next. I was going to say, when you think of the great rivalries in the sport, Washington-Oregon may not be the first one that comes to mind nationally, but it is fierce. It is really fierce. And as you point out, that was the first time you've been on the inside of this. For those who are outside the region that don't really understand it, how would you describe how it felt and did it live up to the intensity that you expected? Yeah, it definitely lived up to it. Uh, You know, I just... I told the the local media, you know, um, all week long, just every function I go to an event, um, you know, at some point in the conversation, it just seems like it pops up, uh, you know, it's, it's Oregon. And of course the apple cup with Washington state, but um, there's just so many years of uh, tradition in our program and uh, success, I think between both programs uh, over the years and just, it's, it's been fierce uh, and, there's been some huge games, some big moments. Uh, you know, um, someone's almost always ranked uh, every year, you know, and so um, it's had some indication in uh, playoffs and conference championships. And so, um, you know, proximity location-wise in the Pacific Northwest and uh, the pride and all the bragging rights that go along with it, uh, you know, it's, it's a big rivalry. Well said. Kalen DeBoer is joining us. So in the game, in the days leading up to that game, I know you challenged your players to play their best game. Do you feel like they did that on Saturday, or do they still have that one in them? I, I feel like we've played our best game up to this point, but I do feel like we can play better. Um, you know, I think there's just a piece of the game uh, – you know, the third quarter defensively, I think we can play better. You know, I thought there were some times uh, where we were in the red zone offensively. We didn't convert uh, some conversions we we normally have. And you, you always got to credit the opponent. But um, I do think we played our best game to this point as a whole team. But uh, we certainly can be better uh, than even what we showed Saturday. Well, then quarterback Michael Penix had an amazing game once again. In fact, he's having an incredible season. And this is after having some challenging seasons at Indiana where he suffered four different season-ending injuries. But clearly, this is the guy that you wanted with you. This is the guy that you wanted at Washington. Easy to see now why, because you believe so deeply in him. But what did you know about him that maybe others did not know when you brought him here? Well, uh, you look through his past, and it's obviously well-documented that um, he's had some injuries and um, just the fight that this guy has uh, in his life. I mean, going through those uh, those tough times, 
Um, it's indicative of what he does in a normal game. And he's able to have great perspective of uh, no matter what he's going through, um, the moment in the game, the moment, uh, you know, that he's going through and recovering from an injury over the years. And the talent level was never a question in my, in my mind. He, uh, he's as talented as anyone I've ever been around at any position. Um, and that's showing up and he's had a great year being healthy and um, the guys around him, you know, just uh, love him to death because of his personality. He's a, he's a guy that brings uh, positive vibes every day to practice. And he has that great balance of being a leader and commanding, uh, you know, be, being demanding and commanding kind of like control, but also just, you know, he's one of the guys too you know, and has fun. And so he's great for the locker room. He's great for our team in every way. Kalen DeBoer is joining us. He's the head football coach at Washington. Such high praise. You know, when you talk about him being as talented a player as you've ever been around, I'm kind of curious about what you inherited. Like, you follow a great coach in Chris Peterson, but it's a team that won four games last year. You've won eight games already this year. So what did you inherit from both a talent and character standpoint? What do you have in that locker room? Yeah, you know, and, and that, I think there's uh, the, the piece that uh, – I saw right away is uh, there's a lot of guys that really knew what it took. Uh, there's some guys on our team, our team still from the 2018, you know, conference championship. Uh, you know, a lot of guys that were recruited, uh, you know, many of the guys under coach Pete um, that are in this program, you know, in 2019 and 20 class. Uh, so there's, you know, there's some tough times that they went through with COVID and last year's four and eight season and the resiliency that these guys have, I could see it and feel it. I thought we had a really high intelligent uh, football IQ and, you know, there wasn't a lot of distractions with academics. And so it was just a matter of getting everyone aligned, filling a few spots, uh, you know, that had some holes in it, uh, adding some talent like Mike to the mix and uh, just really getting from a coaching staff on down, everyone headed in the same direction. We've done that. And these guys, uh, are really enjoying the journey, and it's pretty cool to see from my vantage point. Yeah, from my vantage point, it's really cool to see, and I would imagine listening to you, especially after the game, how pleased you were for everybody. You mentioned 2018. 2018 is interesting because kicker Peyton Henry nailed a 43-yarder to help you win this game, but he had missed that kick back in 2018 in the final seconds of regulation against Oregon. Then the game goes to OT, and they end up losing you know, the, the, that's something he's had to live with ever since then. And then after this game, he said, I hope that that gives other people something else to remember me by. How pleased were you for him and that he made that kick for you? Yeah, I mean, I, I honestly get chills right now just hearing you kind of go through that timeline of what he's been through. And when you see kids succeed and, and work through tough moments and overcome, I mean, that, that just gives you so much satisfaction, the job I get to do and the the things I, I get to have an impact on and these guys. And, um, you know, I don't think I understood until maybe this last week um, exactly what Peyton's gone through since that 2018 kick. And last week uh, we, we had a game-winning field goal. It was, a, it was a chip shot, but it was a game-winning field goal nonetheless against Oregon State. And I think some of the buzz of that kick along with what was coming up against Oregon um, really, you know, gave me a true indication of, uh, you know, uh, what he's been through on his journey, uh, just he alone. You know, because you've been around much longer than these guys, you've got a much greater perspective. Of course, they're young people. I'm kind of curious, like, you've got your 24-hour rule, you know, good or bad, regardless of what happens, you move on after 24 hours. Do you get the sense that while you may have implemented that rule, that this is the kind of game and experience and win that's going to stay with these guys, not for 24 hours, but maybe 24 years or longer? 
that that's what we talked about before we took the field, um, before the kickoff, the opening kickoff is, you know, these moments uh, are the ones you're going to talk about. And you're going to be glad you left it all in the field, you know, 10, 20, 30 years from now, you're going to be talking about this and, uh, you know, the celebration that comes along with playing a great game and, and winning. Um, you're going to be glad that you just sold out and did everything you could for these guys and these brothers that are next to you. So um, it's all about that. You know, they can't take, no one can ever take this, uh, this win away from them. Ever. Kalen DeBoer joining me for another moment or so. So you've got an interesting week in the sense that you're coming off one of the biggest wins ever. We talked about that at length. You've got Colorado next, who's having a really challenging year. They've won just one game. And then you've got the Apple Cup that you mentioned after the fact. Is this a group that maybe is, you know, they're so focused, they're so mature, you don't have to spend a lot of time reminding them not to take anything for granted this week and get caught looking ahead? Or frankly, is it a point of emphasis no matter who you're coaching because it's natural to get caught up and look ahead? Yeah, I think uh, no matter who I was coaching, uh, no matter where I've been, a game like this, you're making those points. I think you don't have to look much further than uh, – you know, earlier in the season when we uh, when we dropped two in a row and uh, how we played and we spoke all along from day one in uh, in with this team that we're capable of beating everyone on our schedule. Um, there's pretty much everyone that we play uh, because we are not so good yet. And this was earlier in the season when we were kind of preaching this uh, to where you know they can't beat us too. You know, and we've had a few blemishes on the record, and so we got to make sure uh, we're continuing to focus on just improving and being our best this week. So one last thought, and I appreciate your time very much because you mentioned that you're riding that four-game winning streak. It did start after losing that shootout to Arizona State, 45-38. So how pleased are you with the team's ability to compartmentalize and not let that game unravel or derail what has become a great season? I think that's one of the strengths of our team. Um, All the adversity they've been through over years, um, I think shows up in how you know they've overcome. I think that's what's happening in these individual games that take place. Uh, we've had some close ones here the last two weeks, times when we've been behind late in the game, um, and we've had times when uh, you know um, things uh, aren't going your way, but we just really are able to focus on the moment, flush the flush the bad stuff out of our system, accept the spot we're in, and move on and uh, make the most of the opportunity that's ahead of us. So. Um, I think that's one of the things and the strength of, of this team in particular. Much respect. He is the head football coach at Washington. A great, great win for those players, for that program, for the coach himself. And the Huskies are going to host Colorado on Saturday. Kalen, great to get caught up. Congrats on an amazing win. That was a really thrilling victory to see, too. And it's great to have you back on. Thanks so much. Thank you. Really appreciate you having me on. Thanks a lot, Jim. Good night now!